The following podcast is designed to provoke thought, spark dialogue, educate, and entertain. The perspectives and language may trigger a range of emotions, from laughter to angst and possibly anger. We welcome your feedback and thank you for listening. Welcome to the Bruz Bookshelf. Subscribe, rate us, and share. This week we'll be reviewing Charlemagne the God's Black Privilege. Joining us is your host, Lennon Givens. Dr. Harvey Hinton, Walter Atkins, and Donovan Snipe. Bruh, let's just get right into it. What's y'all thoughts on the book? Dog. What's up? Dog, I'm going to say this first, dog. I had, we we purchased this book in the men's center at North Carolina Central in 2017. And um, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you. I didn't read it. You know, I bought it for the guys because I personally didn't like this guy. Like on a, per- I didn't even know him. But I didn't like Charlemagne, right? There's there's an element about him that's not oh, to be liked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I must say, man, this is a great book. Like, like I don't believe he wrote now fucking word, but the point, <laughs> the message, his his voice is his voice is so strong. So oh, it doesn't matter if he wrote it. It's him. And I think it's a great book. I mean, hell, I'm gonna start it and leave it right there. Because he it reads just like how he talks. So yeah, he wrote the book. Now I could be naive. Now he could have recorded himself and given it to the editor exactly. to clean it up, but he wrote the book. Yes. Also, here's another book we read where I have another some book. personal <laughs> connection. And the author and I are around the same age because we both have a, a whole small lot of town. experiences, yep. However, I was never that poor and lived in a single wide trailer on a dirt road and had a planet. Fitness in my backyard <laughs> in the form of an exercise bike. I was, thinking, I was thinking about diving the whole time. I was thinking about diving the whole time reading this shit. Man, that's crazy <laughs> how random people would just come in their backyard riding the bike. But I seen that in the country, though. I seen that life. I didn't grow up like that, but I saw it. Yeah, me too, bro. I, I saw that life as well, too, bro. I saw that life a lot when my dad grew up at. I thought it started off out of the gate good and relatable. And then towards the end, it started to flatline and became a little preachy and didactical. But after I stepped back, I realized I wasn't the target demographics. And this book was catered to more of 17 to 25 year olds. Exactly. So I had to change my mindset while reading the book. That, that's who he's talking is. to the whole time. I don't. I, I think that was part of getting over it, that he's not talking to his peers necessarily. I think he is talking to... Uh, a younger person that's that's trying to get it off. And I think that's what makes it good. Yeah. The cool thing is this book is like a, a hybrid autobiography slash self-help book. Right. Definitely. Y'all remember when I said I make my 9 and 16-year-old read out loud to me? Mm-hmm. Well, they really enjoy reading this book out loud. Dog, they love reading the nasty word. And the part when he said about the Bible, he said that they weren't supposed to eat pork. Well, if you pray over it, it should be okay. Hold on, let me read that part. When I was particularly troubled as a teenager, some of the elders from the Kingdom Hall would come and study with me at my mother's house. I remember I was studying with one of the elders and I asked them about Deuteronomy 14.8, which states, and the pig, because it's parts of the hoof, but does not chew the cud is unclean for you. Their flesh you shall not eat, their carcasses you shall not touch. When I asked how come we still ate pig, he replied, well, that's from the Old Testament. We think if you pray over the food, it's fine to eat. 
being a smart ass that I am, I said, <laughs> well, the Bible also says you shouldn't have sex before marriage. So if I pray over the pussy, then I can fuck it, right? <laughs> Sounds like a perfectly logical oh, that question. Hilarious. That was hilarious. <laughs> that shit was hilarious. That man said, you know, the Bible said we shouldn't eat pork. So while we eating it, we pray over it. So that means I can pray over some pussy? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's hilarious, though. But, uh, you know, Charlemagne really gives an ode to how hip-hop changed his life. You know, he talks about, um, you know, how it opened him up to a world that he didn't he didn't know about in, um, in Monk's Corner and how, you know, the music took him places. And I think that that was, that was the beauty of our generation. And it's, that story is told exactly. time and time again. You know, I was just telling my 16 year old how hip hop <laughs> used to have you wanting to read books. Right. Looking at words. We used to learn from people like Tupac, Outkast, Goody Mob and CeeLo when he was on that. Ain't no more. You ain't no more. <laughs> it's only us with no unity. Got your eyes open. Still can't see your soul is priceless, but you die for free before right. the crazy. And the fuck you, CeeLo. That's still Goody Mob CeeLo, though, dog. You can't take that away from CeeLo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I can Yeah, I, I can say I can definitely relate to that, man. I, remember how he talked about how his first fight in high school, right? How he was listening to Method Man prior to, and the guy cut him in line. And then the guy had no idea, even though Solomon was a freshman and the guy was a senior, the, and the guy was a hood dude, Solomon stepped back and punched him, you know? Popped him. <laughs> one, one real good time, you know. I can relate to that because of the fact one of my first fights in middle school, I was listening to to, uh, to Trick Daddy, man. No lie, Trick Daddy. It had me pumped up. Anybody want to come see? That's what I had me so hyped up. I was in the sixth grade, bro. I want to say, bro. I was so pumped up. I had my, uh, I had my headphones on. I had my CD player. I'm jamming it all morning long. I get to class, uh, second period science class. This guy named Jeremy. I'll say T because I don't want to get sued. Say his last name or whatnot. White kid. Uh, we go into the classroom and whatnot, and he just sits in my seat. I'm like, bro, get up. He like, no, nah, I'm, I'm sitting here today. I get up. I start blasting him. Boom, 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 boom. <laughs> <laughs> bro, I was just, I was just hyped up because of the music, you know. Uh, and I, I don't play like, on hip hop. I'm telling you, bro. I'm telling you. I was hyped up, but was crazy part about it. My teacher, Miss Bagley, at the end of the day, she said, you know, I walk. I'm not going to give you a suspension because of the fact that guy Jeremy was a, uh, was an asshole, was a troublemaker, and I was looking all year long for somebody to beat his ass, and you beat his ass. <laughs> <laughs> he had it coming. Oh, well, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> that, that, so he was a bully. He was a bully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a bully. Yeah, he was a bully. Yeah. Nevertheless, now I mean, I, I put it on him. You know, I put it on him, and uh, everything was good. Good since then, man. Yeah, dog. Let's talk about um Charlemagne's dad, man. Uh, Larry, Big Larry, man. So little Big Larry. Yeah, little Big Larry. So I think we all can relate to somebody in our immediate family or distant family that's just like Larry. You know, Larry was a he was a hustler, sold drugs. He was a contractor. He was a party promoter. He could get you 
any kind of job in the city, Duh. a club owner as well too, you know. Yeah, Larry was that dude. Yeah, Larry, Larry, Larry was that dude, yep. man. Larry Cowboy, Cowboy. They called him Larry Cowboy. Was a businessman. Businessman, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Dog, those people, those were the pillars of our community, man. No, Charlemagne was raised by one of the pillars of our community. Absolutely. I know. I know. We got people who got. He's in a different form now, like you know. He's a, he's Bruh, a different. Not only of, that, what Larry was doing, Larry, Larry had probably about seven streams of income. What everybody today be talking about? I gotta get you know five, six, seven streams of income. Larry had them, but he also had you know. I, I like the fact in this book that Charlemagne talked openly and vividly about his father's shortcomings, his mother's shortcomings, and also his shortcomings as well too throughout life. He was never, he never hit anything. You know, his dad had a drug problem. You know. Also, his dad was a womanizer, but he also exactly. said that he also respected his dad so much that he always let his dad have the last word and still looked up to his father, even though his father was somewhat a good influence, but a bad influence with his actions, but a good in influence with his words, you know? Especially growing up in a, in a time where, you know, opportunities were limited, per se. So sometimes you had to hustle in multiple levels. So you had to be that the club owner slash numbers guy slash doodle on the laundromat slash 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 slash. There there are so many so many great men in our communities whose names aren't on buildings. Right. You know what I mean? And and that and he's an example of one of them, man. I saw I saw a lot of similarities in my father if my father had had not made different choices in life, you know. The, the persona of what the guy represented, I saw in my dad. My dad didn't do the whole multiple job thing, but the whole idea of a a street street mayor, somebody who right. knows everyone, who someone who likes to party, someone who likes to dance, but at the same time has always been about their business, and his message has always been, "Don't do as I nice. do, do as I say," because and what that means is not so that you can. It's not. It's not a hypocritical pass. I've had to learn this in the short time that I've had children. What it means is you have your own fucking life to live. It's as simple as that. Like, you are not me. And it doesn't... You can't. Like, it doesn't... So, like, so like my dad, as much as I... I mean, I'm named after him, okay? But as much as I wanted to be like him and do the things that he liked, that dude ain't never gave a shit about me doing what he liked. He wanted me to do me. And that's what, exactly. And that's what Charlemagne's dad is saying. Like, don't you do the same. I know what I'm doing, nigga. Don't you exactly. fuck up. Y'all, the part about them being in the cell, oh my God. But the part that stuck out most to me was that Larry had all those businesses Hustle and enterprises and all that. And he still lived mean, in dog? a single wide on a dirt road. What does that mean? That's like That means... That life is hard a, for a bro. trailer on a dirt road in America. All of hell. that just for that, just to have it. Hell, his mother was a school teacher, and he said she never made anything over thirty thousand dollars a year as a teacher. Yeah. So, is it the question is, bro? Is it a is it a uh, a situation of circumstance, or is it a situation of information? Because we know Larry had the drive and the hustle to to want to do better because he would have been, never been able to try so many things and be somewhat successful at so many things. I think it was an information situation. If he was exposed to the right people with the right information, he would probably have had a chance of being a tad bit more successful. They were living in 
Moscona because of the fact well they moved from Charleston originally, if I'm not mistaken, right? And then they, they right, right, right. Basically, close, it takes a village to raise a child, so they got more close to her family because of the fact you know it takes a village to raise a child, and um, she wanted to be around uh, her people. But they also had what four kids total. He had a sister. He had Charlemagne. He had two brothers, and he had his youngest as well too. Two sisters and a younger brother. It was total of four. Yeah, two sisters and a younger. Okay, brother. so yeah, four, so four total. Yeah, so he got it's, it's, it's rural south raising four kids in a small town in Muscona. You know, before we get in, before we go so any I, further, let's not ignore the story about the farmer and the tractor. And the hags, the supernatural, the supernatural. Oh, yeah, when he was tripping. So that was the first time yeah. I had ever heard about hags, but I have experienced hags. Really, I've, I've experienced that my whole life. I didn't know what that was. I never gave it a name. I had that happen to me. We called it devil riding your back. You know, yeah. it was like it was that's, like it was a weight on me. I just couldn't move, and it was just like ride you. something was happening, and I couldn't do shit about it. I'm just stuck in that space. Let and, me read um, you. Uh, let me read you what the hags are out of the book for the listeners. It says another supernatural. <laughs> read the book. We ain't all just making up <laughs> the hag talk for no reason. <laughs> <laughs> another supernatural presence in my life has been hags. Who are a major part of Southern African folklore. <laughs> Hags are female spirits or witches who come into your bedroom while you are asleep, sit on your chest right before dawn. They don't like the sunlight. When they've got you, you literally can't move. Some doctors try to call this condition sleep paralysis. But in South Carolina, we know better. It just means you got visited by some hags. Almost everyone I know in South Carolina has had hags come to them at right. least once or twice. Some folks try to keep them out by sprinkling salt by their doors because it's said a hag would try to pick up every grain and run out of time before the sun comes up. Another trick is to leave a straw broom by the door because hags would get distracted trying to count all the straws. It happened to me, mm-hmm. but uh, it happened to me one uh, one morning. It was like five minutes. It feels like it's five minutes. You don't know how long it happened. You you have no idea how long it happened. You're right. You're right. It could have been longer, but that. it felt like five Think about minutes. That. You don't know what space you in. I'm on some Doctor Strange shit. You don't know where the fuck you at. You don't know. You don't know. Five minutes can really be like four hours. You stuck, nigga. You don't know. You can't look at the clock. You can try. You can try your damnness to look at that clock. You cannot turn your head, son. It's not you could do. <laughs> oh, let me read the part before that about the tractor and the farmer. My first encounter with the supernatural came when I was five or six years old with one of my favorite toys, a little plastic tractor with a farmer sitting on top of it. <laughs> Suddenly, that plastic farmer hopped off that tractor, walked over and started messing with me. Hey, Not in a threatening hey. way, but almost hey. as if he was issuing me a warning, as if he was telling me, hey, you're not alone in this universe, and I can get off this tractor if I want to. Every few days, that farmer would mess with me. I even told my mother about it, but she just blew me off. Well, you don't say. Then went back to whatever she was doing. One day, we had a trash fire going. Yes, it's rural, so where I grew up, we had to burn your own trash because the county wouldn't pick yep. it up. When that yep. toy farmer drove his tractor over to me again and started acting up, I had enough. So I grabbed it and threw it in the fire. 
Let me tell you, that little farmer began screaming for his life as the plastic began to melt. I should have rescued him, but I was too freaked out to move. For him to share that, which is something that's so bizarre, and have the confidence in doing so, shows that he lives his truth. Nigga lying, he lying. Bro, with that being said about Charlemagne, him and I are similar when it comes to expressing the truth and expressing our truth to other people. It took me years to learn when you love someone and you want to share something with them that they need to hear, you should approach it cautiously and thinking what your outcome should be. And if it's something that's tough that could probably turn someone away, then you should broach that subject mm-hmm. gingerly so that the message can be received because otherwise you're doing it for nothing and the people won't listen to you, but rather showing you off as an asshole. I'm I'm on that first. And that's how you become misunderstood. I I would just say what was on my mind. Why he tripping? I take issue with people who think they know everything. And I take issue with people who think there's an absolute, absolute truth. And I take issue with people who think it's their responsibility to always present the truth because sometimes stuff ain't none of your business. And so I think everyone has the right to reserve a certain narrative to themselves. And what that truth is, I have to accept the fact that it's relative. And so that's, you know, that could be the academic in me, but I've learned that to me, that's that's what, what mankind is about. So I can tell you up front, that is exactly why I didn't like to do it, Lenny. That's exactly why I didn't read this book when we first got it. Because I'm like, I don't like I don't like this guy on those premises, you know. But I can tell you I can appreciate his articulation of his point of view in this book. I I can really appreciate it. He shares a similar story with you, Harvey. What story? No, no, I'm talking about the UFO. Oh, we're going to get to that. That's, 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 we're going to get back to that. But I'm just saying that that's, that's, part of, that's part of my, you know, accepting the hater in me, right? I've always had to accept the fact that I ain't like a certain kind of person who I really, once the shit hit the fan, I end up talking to the person who has so many things in common. And that's where I was going with that is that, you know, that supernatural conversation, we already knocked on the hags, you know what I'm saying? We already talked about that. And the fact that we, I, I, I can share that one. I ain't never seen no fucking toys run into no fire and and, <laughs> and scream for help. <laughs> I done threw some spray paint cans in there and saw them blow up. Yo. So I seen a flying saucer and that's the thing about it. Like we, me and my homeboys was just talking about the flying saucer the other day. You know, when we were in college, we had a um, we had a football frat. We was out in the woods one night, and um, and this saucer appeared, man, and it came out of nowhere. It lit up the sky. It had you know red, white, and blue colors on it, and it just disappeared. Just as and it was silent. And when it when it disappeared, everybody just took off running. Like we get the hell up out of here. <laughs> the night was over. Like this is it. Like fuck this tonight. <laughs> 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 what? Dog, that is crazy. That's what I'm saying. Like the light, that shit, that light just lit up, man. It lit up the whole sky, it lit up the whole area, man. And then it just took off. It didn't make no sound. It just disappeared. And it was like, hell no, we gotta go, yo, we gotta go. How big was it? Was it the size of a house? I mean, like, I think like it's like that shit is big, it's close, like it's like round. 
and there's just lights every fucking where, and it just disappears. How close was it? Like, it was close. It was, this shit was close. <laughs> we was just talking about yeah, that the man, other day. Right. So, yeah, my LB has I mean, like the same story. Man, this is the universe, oh, man. It's a bunch of shit yeah. out here, man. It's a bunch of shit to discover. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Walt, I mean, you know, <laughs> I don't know, Walt. That's, that, that, I, 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 that story about connecting with the supernatural... I think it's part of our experience. He right there, man. It's, man, so, man. I just think South Carolina is one of those places. It's a lot of ancestry. I mean, it's right there, bro. So, yeah, that's what I was gonna say too, man. It's a lot of ancestry in South Carolina. A lot of slaves came in. A lot of history in South Carolina as well, too. I mean, so you know, me and my coworkers were just talking about um, just the haunted nature of Charleston in general, because like he used to work at a hotel downtown that apparently had a couple of ghosts in it and like i don't know to us that's not like an out of the ordinary thing he's from miami so he's like people around here just y'all just cool with stuff being haunted i'm like well i mean what you gonna do like fucking supernatural so you just <laughs> mm. you either roll with it or you get rolled over or we'll go back to miami um, exactly what you gonna do exactly have y'all been to south carolina yeah I have. <laughs> did y'all see like those stands they used to sell those those sweet grass baskets along the highway. Yeah. yeah. Donovan's mom mm-hmm. is a renowned sweet grass basket. Sweet grass baskets. Yeah. The cool thing is that her family lives four miles from the plantation where yeah. their family was first brought over from Africa. Uh, my mother is Henrietta Snipe. She is a basket maker. Um, sweet grass baskets are one of like the oldest um, I guess agricultural production product. Um, in existence, it's been around pretty much since before we got to America. But you know, when they were kidnapping people from around the planet, uh, they took some Africans who were very good at cultivating rice, and one of the tools that was used was uh, the rice fanner. Um, and rice pretty much made Charleston the richest county on the planet for a few years back in the antebellum times. Um, and rice was like just a very important crop um, to the same. I mean, it still is. It's, it's, it still provides a lot of our um, our revenue um, across the world. But um, the Africans or the enslaved Africans that they brought on the plantations have been making this this uh, these baskets since forever. And you know, she's been making them. She learned from her mom. I learned from her. Her mom learned from her since going all the way back into antiquity. And so she's, yeah. And there's a part of the book yeah. where Charlemagne's addressed the backlash mm-hmm. he received from not being familiar mm-hmm. with Afro, or what is it, color? So, no, she says I'm Afro-Latino. Yeah, Afro-Latino doing an interview with the Orange is the New Black star, Dasha Pananko, he made a point that most people are familiar with that Afro-Latino who grew up around Latinos. However, if you ask those same people what is a Geechee Gullah or what's a freshwater or saltwater Geechee, they will be clueless. And he will understand that because you wouldn't know unless you have ties in that area, which is a great point he made. Great comparison, yeah. That was a great comparison. And and it was crazy. It was crazy, Lenny. Like, I grew up around... Um, a lot of dark skinned Latinos. I had no idea they identified as Afro Latino. 
since maybe the last couple of years that people have been saying it more so like on uh, different TV shows, uh, et cetera, et cetera. But I had no idea people recognize themselves mm-hmm. as like Afro-Latinos, you know. I just always call it just dark-skinned um, Latino or dark-skinned Mexican or dark-skinned Spanish or dark-skinned, you know, Puerto Rican. Man, but- yeah, yeah, it was never like Afro Latino. I've I've never heard that term around. before. I think, I think it does like two years ago. Diminished the the cultural experience, but the niggas was just black, you know, and that that's the, you know at least in, at least in, in my yeah, world, you know what I'm saying. I think I think that's some of that is ignorance. A lot of it is ignorance, but it's pure acceptance. And I don't know, you know, fuck it, you know what I mean? Like we we didn't grow up. I was a light skinned dude, man. Come on, man. We didn't grow up with all that extra stuff. Like you was mixed. Okay, it was kids that was mixed. We knew they was mixed. But mixed didn't mean by they didn't mean they weren't biracial. They were still black. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. They was just mixed. Mixed. We're no biracial. That shit didn't exist. I mean, and even to that point, like growing up in South Carolina around that time, you was you was either like I, I always good, joke, man. I tell people at my school, you was either black, white, Gregory Bingo. Or Nadine Burr, because those are the only two people in our school who are not in them categories. But like for the most part, you gonna be black, white, or them two people, because um, that's kind of how the diversity went back then. And then also to the right. point of Latino, I, like that wasn't even like a real category up until like what the mid seventies. Like before that, they was just right. whatever they was, black or white. We right. didn't have this this distinction. So I don't know. One of the things that my 16-year-old pointed out while reading the book was the reason Charlemagne started getting in so much trouble is it was his dad's fault. After that Jeez. incident with his sisters and cousins yeah. where he said uh, Michael from Bellevue DeVoe was cute and his dad yeah. with all his machizo was determined to make sure his son wasn't going to grow up to be no punk. Right. So you know what he did? He took him to his thug-ass, shiftless cousins who hated books education and anything else to do with success and then they bully him until the, his nerd friends was like fuck Nard because his cousins are too much so he made them fucking Nard. so he went from reading Judy Booth yeah. books and being on the and being in the 4-H club to skipping school fighting and fucking out thanks cowboy for fucking up your son's future no but it also speaks to a larger issue yeah. of how we prosecute juveniles because yeah. remember, he was in high school when they got into that yeah, shooting at Walmart parking lot when the police came and brought him out of the classroom and one of the boys identified him. Charlemagne thought that he would be out in a few days for the football game on Friday. Yeah. He had no idea of the severity of what happened. Bro, I, I think we all go through that phase as a as a young uh, preteen um, and also becoming a teenager, man, like, because at, certain, at some point in time, uh, oh, hold on, let me, let me make a step back. When Charlamagne was talking about the uh, the Reader's Club, you used to, <laughs> used to have to read so many books per joy. week and then get your uh, piece of up. Bro, I was, bro, I swear <laughs> to God, bro, I was in that. My mom will tell you this right now. <laughs> I will read so many books per month. And the highlight of my and month was going to Pizza Hut on Friday and handing them my certificate. And the lady behind the counter saying, uh, Mr. Atkins, or she said, Walter, you read X amount of books. You 
and your siblings can have I, w- I would always you and your siblings can have a pan pizza and I would get a four pan pizza and I would feed the family dog no lie I bet that made you feel me. like a man oh, and I said I felt like a man what okay, no. <laughs> what so I'm putting in that work uh-huh. reading these books getting this knowledge and also my teacher would make us like uh, spit out my teacher named Miss Johnson I love her to this day she would make us like read the books and then we have like a, a, a three minute talk session throughout the class to talk about like what we learned from the book and just kind of like break the book down only three minutes because we had so many kids in the classroom or whatnot you know and I just love I, that's when I came my fascination with reading books from that particular point man so when Charlamagne was talking about the guy that wrote that article about like how uh, that um, the piece of program helped him get it yeah, like that's bullshit. Like, yeah, I agree. <laughs> that's BS. One hundred and ten percent. Man, fuck you. <laughs> right, right. So, so, but, so but back look to at, what I, look at what look at look at the commonality though. Don't lose your point, Walt. Okay. Look at the commonality though of how we all experienced this idea of there was a time in our lives where reading was fun and cool, and then something was put in place to change that, and it brought that mm. thug out. And it all happens around the same time, you know, going mm-hmm. and going and going 12, yeah, 13, going to middle school. 13, uh, that yep. middle school experience he described was frightening. You know, my, you know, I, I love education. I love schools and, and, and trying to interact with the youth. But it's a dangerous fucking world, man. And when you got maniacs like him and his cousin and that bitch trying to, you know, stab teachers in the balls with puzzles. <laughs> Bruh, like nobody, <laughs> nobody wakes up in the morning just going to a classroom for some little fucker Bruh, to stab him in the nuts. I would have been on a six o'clock <laughs> news if that had been me. That's After yeah. the pain went away, I would have got up and body slammed his ass. You read the part that said, well, and not even listen, cared man. about the consequences. Listen. Like that other kid that reached in his pants and put the feces <laughs> on the teacher's face. Man, Bruh. come on, man. That doo-doo. You go to jail for that shit, man. That's come on, man. For real. Oh, yeah. That was extra crazy, man. Punch him in the fucking face. Sometimes you got to just beat these kids but up. But look, what's the, the, the irony in the whole situation is that I knew kids like that, bro. But I, I knew my mom and dad didn't like that. Like, <laughs> as far as to be. Yeah, I knew kids like that, man. I, I knew kids like that, that that acted out that particular way, that was looking for attention. And the only way they got attention, like Charlamagne was saying, was through being a class clown or the class comedian or whatnot, telling all the jokes, disrupting class because he wanted attention. So even though he had a somewhat of a stable um, household from his dad being there somewhat and his mom being there, being like the matriarch of the family, he still wanted to be a thug for whatever reason. And I think it was because of his cousins who we idolized and looked up to so much, you know? Mm-hmm. Survival. Was, yeah, it was survival, but also because of his cousins too. But also Charlamagne statue. Charlamagne a small dude, man. He ain't a big dude. <laughs> think about it, bro. See Charlamagne now what he five, six, one, let's say one fifty five. Well, the book says he floats between 170 and 175 pounds. Yeah, 175 right now. But back then he probably was Five, 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 six, probably about 140, 135, you know. But those adolescent ages, man, we have so many pitfalls and traps um, because we're trying to figure out who we are as, as a young man and try, try to figure out what cool may be, man. You know, in the imagery that we see on TV, it uh, is what it is, you know. It's hip-hop. We emulate that as well, That too. motherfucking, when I was in middle elementary school, it was LL Cool J. Fifth grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, LL Cool J, you know, mm-hmm. that was my dude, dog. 
when I went Ladies into man. motherfucking uh, oh yeah, middle, elementary two was was two live crew. We were talking about that earlier. Two live crew was One, cranking when I was in middle school. We haven't <laughs> elementary school, but walk when I walked into middle school in sixth grade and that NWA came on. Dog, nigga, they was wild. They was so wild up in there. They was so wild. I thought it was appropriate to curse, and profanity just became part of everyday life, man. Like, that shit was just crazy in middle school. So to hear him tell those stories, man, I remember chaos like that, but just that shit he described was just so beyond tolerable, man. That is a time where I guess everybody's trying to find themselves, and then, like, during that time... Like, even, like, his father was kind of encouraging it via his pushing him to that. Like, he could have very well just say keep reading them books, but, like, he thought the only way, I guess, to be a man was to be tough, which I guess yeah, cowboy. a lot of us Cowboys got. from but, that era, dog, but, that they, they never said, I love you. Yeah. But sexuality but like, like, and physicality should never be confused. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what this conversation exactly. seems to be about. Mm-hmm. You know, we... He go, mm-hmm. You go from questioning his sexuality to now you got to toughen him up. Now you want to beat the shit yeah, out of him. Yeah, until you find out the hard way that gay dude is still a man and he beat the shit out of your ass by underestimating him. <laughs> That's usually what ended up happening. <laughs> right, right, right. Run up on the wrong train thinking that shit is sweet and getting embarrassed. It happens every week on World Star. Gay guy beat Guy gets knocked out by gay guy on subway <laughs> in a dress. <laughs> <laughs> look at you, you look whack. <laughs> hey, hey, y'all, did I tell you about my story about Freak Neat? Speak on it. <laughs> Have you ever been to Freak Neat? Dog, I never made the Freak Neat, dog. I was supposed to have gone to Freak Nick one year. Just at least my parents thought I went and created my own Freak Nick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Light skin was in in the 90s. Bruh. <laughs> Go ahead, dog. What happened? All right. Long story short, we moved to Florida in June 1995, my senior year of high school. And I met my friend, AJ, who shortly after we moved to Florida, he moved to Atlanta six months later. So over the Christmas break, he asked me to come up there. And I went up there and stayed for the Christmas break. Man, had a blast. Uh, went downtown for New Year's and um, watched the peach drop downtown at the underground. So his parents fell in love with me. And his mama told me that I can come back anytime. Now, I'm not the type of person that you can tell that to because I cast that check. So fast forward a few months later, now it's 1996. I'm new. I'm from Louisiana. I got a different accent. And I was driving a 1993 Ford Explorer. So like if you had an SUV back then and it was fairly new, man, you was the shit. Mm-hmm. So here I am driving around in a newer model, 1993 Ford Explorer. And it's 1996. So it's only three years old. So my mom had to go on a business trip in Chicago, and she was leaving from Thursday until Monday night, and she left me $90. So I called my homeboys, uh, I called AJ mom, and I cashed that check that she gave me, and I asked her, I said, hey, can we come up there this weekend? It's going to be freaking. And she was like, yeah, baby, you can come on up here anytime. I told you, anytime. And I said, but there's one caveat. 
I'm gonna have three other people with me. She was like, "Baby, that's fine. Y'all can come out here. We got a place to stay. Um, you don't have to worry about food. Yeah. I cook." I said, "Okay, I'm coming up there." So the next day at school, I went up to uh, next day at school. I asked my homeboys. I said, "Hey, y'all want to go to Freaknik?" They was like, "Yeah, yeah." I said, "I right, bet." After school, I'm gonna go grab some clothes and I'm gonna come pick y'all up and we are gonna head out. Now Atlanta from Tallahassee ain't up before uh, four hours, so. I took that $90 and bought an ounce of weed. It cost like $90 for an ounce of weed. And then I went and I stole a full tank of gas. Damn, then I went. After I got my full tank of gas, I went and picked up my homeboys. They put their money together. They bought a box of El Productos. And we rolled out. Man, dog, we rolled and smoked weed the whole time up there and stole gas the whole way up there. Now I remember at one point, man, I remember I remember at one point I was so high and we was listening to that Coming Out Hard album, A-Ball and JT. And I remember it was on that track, Strong Arm Robbie. Like, <laughs> Coming out hard. Man, I was mashing, bro. I'm going so fast, all I see is white lights because I'm past everybody up on the highway. And it's only 85 miles per hour on the dashboard. I had it all the way down to the D on drive. I was going so fast. So I had to be going like over 100 miles per hour. Man, when we got there, I ain't never experienced anything like that in my life. Man, 285 was a parking lot. Girls was getting out of their cars, doing splits, bending over, showing <laughs> everything. Man, I went crazy. People started following me. They was like, this dude got these girls off the chain. Look at my energy. Was like, I was getting them out the cars. They was doing all kinds of stuff. People started following me. They had camcorders. And back then, we had like those, those disposable cameras that you just take pictures with. And, and 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 put the reel over, and then you take it to CVS or Walgreens, and, and you don't know what your pictures look like until you get it back. So I had the cameras, so I couldn't even drive no more because I kept jumping out. Of the car. I had my homeboy driving, and stuff like that was their vehicle. I ain't care, and I wasn't in any of the pictures, man. I was just taking all the pictures, wilding out, right? Dog. It was at one time when we was on the highway. It was a dude. It was some dudes in a pickup truck. Sitting down with lawn chairs and umbrellas with a cooler selling weed, blunts, and beers at the back of their pickup. Man, we stole gas all the way there the whole time. I mean, I stole gas all the way there going up there the whole time while I was there, all the way back. What? Never once did I consider getting it was so much over easier back then. Well, it was so much so easier back then. Man, if I'd have got pulled over, my life wouldn't be the same right now. Man, that's why we need you second see, chances. You didn't see yourself as a criminal. You were just having fun. We need more than second chances. You need 10 chances. You need 20 chances. You know, you need your ass beat. Don't get it twisted. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes the circumstances do just that. But, you know, mm-hmm. you need but chances. You just really need, like, the time and the space to to be able to mess up. Like, that's what our kids don't hardly get. Like, they don't get to be kids. They have to be perfect. And if they ain't perfect, they go to fucking jail instead of having that, that, that adolescent time where you, you supposed to do dumb stuff. Like that's what being a kid is about. Um, And that's what to me makes the world. We talk about truth because, you know, 
when we go back to black and blue and we read those horror stories about what happens in Ferguson and places where black men have been targeted and mis and mistargeted and, and mis misidentified and, and all this bad stuff that has happened, and you think about some of these experiences that we had, it's because of college. It's because it was something about going to college got us into a different mental freedom from where those realities were, man. But in places like Ferguson, you could come right back to it though. And so I think that's what's, that's why I think, I think we learned that we are all humbled and fortunate that we can talk about it and laugh about it right now because it didn't happen so well for so many other people, man. Shit got, shit went sour. Yeah. We all are lucky, man. Cause we, we all been in situations where it could have been, it could have been us. It could have been us. My mom, though, I think what, what kept me on the straight and narrow and I did dumb stuff as well, too, but what kept me on the straight and narrow, my mom would always send me articles, like, once a month when I was in college, articles about, like, this, obviously, before Google and stuff like that. Uh, but she would send me a care package once a month from the church, and in that care package, she would send me articles about, like, stuff that's going on around the NCAA that I may have missed. And that's dope. Are over and over and over, a football kid on scholarship, this happened to him. Uh, some cats down at the University of Miami, they 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 robbing uh, they robbing kids, um, they robbing their, their classmates or whatnot. And then she would ask me like, this kind of stuff going at the University of Toledo or whatnot. I'm like, in reality, this kind of stuff does go on, but it, it's not making headlines because we're not in the SEC or, or ACC or the Big Ten, you know. And it's more so suppressed uh, overall, and we kind of keep it in house, you know. But that kind of stuff happens all the time, bro. I want to talk about when, when Charlemagne started coming of age and um, his cousin started to fall off. All his cousins he used to look up to. Uh, that was a, that, that, that was a real, for, for me, man, like, well, I, I'll paint the picture. Basically, what happened is Charlemagne started coming of age and all of his cousins he used to look up to. Uh, it was about three or four cousins. One used to dress real nice. Uh, the other one always had all the girls or whatnot. And then one of them, used to sell drugs and also was a barber as well too. And uh, one time he had went out of town and uh, he invited Charlemagne pretty much out of town. So I forget the actual location. And when Charlemagne got to the hotel, he was like, all I wanted to do was get money. How my cousin was getting money, be like him, dress fresh like him and have a girl like he, a fly ass chick. How he had a fly ass chick and also get the same hotel room. So later on in the story, he talked about how, you know, him and Mook Mook, which was his his now wife, you know, went to that hotel later on down the line or whatnot. But what was ironic to me, man, about how guys he looked up to growing up and as he started to transcend and like become a bigger radio personality and move on uh, to different states and new heights in his career or whatnot, how those guys kind of stayed stagnant. Mm-hmm. And I think what Harvard was hitting on is like, you know how when you go to college and the first year you go to college, you come back, see your homeboys that stayed back in stayed back in your hood. Y'all conversation is very, you know, it's real cool. It's still football, basketball, whatever's going on, bam, bam, bam. And then your second year and your third year, as you start coming back, y'all conversation started to change. That shit does. And it's a it's even it's That's like terrible. in my mind, how I saw it, it's like, damn, bro, you know what? I'm having all these wild ass experiences. Like, I can tell you briefly about what I got going on. I'm the bros now. I'm in college. I, can, I can't even explain to you how, like, I'm taking road trips to different cities where I have zero dollars. 
I know nobody there, but when I get there, I'm pretty much good. You know, and I'm partying, kicking it. Yeah, it's an it's an amazing feeling, but I can't explain that to my homeboy who been in Pompano his entire life that he never experienced this experience before. You know, so a part of it is like shy or even uh, afraid to tell him about it because I know his response is going to be like, "Damn, bro, that's crazy." But and I asked him what's going on with you. You know, like in his life is well, you know, same old, same old. Right now, I'm working at you know Walmart or working at. It's kind of it's kind of hard, man. It's kind of hard. So I really felt that when he was talking. Man, about Charlemagne it. experienced that with his own sister. When after he had been on the radio in Charleston, Columbus on TV with Wendy Williams right. show, he had his own radio show. She said, "Look at you, right, Mr. Right. Big Shot. Now you back at home with Mama." <laughs> and he was like, "She." At least I left. <laughs> Your ass ain't you still here too. I think it was an asshole, dog. <laughs> but he was real though. That nigga be very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. Very disrespectful. No, but some of the other things he said was was disrespectful. But I I, I get his I get his point because she she was saying that to hurt him. You know that and so, like you gotta yeah. realize like how he said like that's just kind kind of how people talk like like there was that Absolutely. portion of the book where he say you know. <laughs> Yeah. I think some like one something happened to one of his friends' parents, and they just went in like immediately. Like that's not happening. Oh no, no, no! What happened was his homeboy dog mm-hmm. died. Yeah, his homeboy dog. <laughs> his homeboy dog died. <laughs> he said his homeboy. That was when they was children. Yeah, but it still was like man. It's, it's, that shit don't end. That shit don't end just because you get older. We still do that now. I mean, when you in charge, when you in charge of your destiny like that, you know what I'm saying. When he came to the reality that going home was to that was his Sankofa moment. He had to get back to his core, and so he went there for that purpose. He didn't go there to give a shit about what she thought about him. <laughs> and that's the thing about people; they love to tell you that. You know what I mean? <laughs> and your closest people do. Yeah, you know, love to tell you what they think about you and shit. And their point of view about some shit about what you're trying to do. And, you know, I think I think you do have an album. Well, it's never good. It's never good to be disrespectful. I just leave it at that. That nigga can be disrespectful. But it's never good to be disrespectful. <laughs> I, I don't think that well, was let disrespectful you know at the all. The book is like, if saying. you don't have nothing nice to say, <laughs> so, so, say it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so he had every right to, to get her that butter. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, I feel you on that. I, 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 can, I, can, I, can, I can smoke a bag of that. That was part of the book where yeah. I thought but it was too far. And I couldn't understand how it added value to the content. Man, it's like with him, he knows no barriers. That part uh-huh. that part where he was where he proposed to his long-term lady and his children's mother, Mook Mook, and she looked at him and said, you have no idea how I'm going to suck your dick when we get back to the room. <laughs> Bro, why would you put that out for the world to read? That's what I mean, dog. What's like, you don't have to tell everybody's business, dog. Like, that, that, it's not your business to tell, dog. It's not your, that's what I'm saying, bro. That's exactly what I'm talking about. Like, you have to practice some level of discretion. You just can't run around telling all kinds of shit. And that makes me not want to fuck with a dude like that. So even though I respect this book, you know what I mean? Yeah, this dude be one of them dudes that I always... He would tell you fucking business. At the same time, you know? that candidness is what made him successful on the radio. Love it or not, here's a dude from a dirt road, single wide, 
no college degree who earns more money than me or you. Well, except for Walt. But <laughs> <laughs> off being flipping at the mouth. <laughs> That's different though, bro, versus, you know what I'm saying, I'm going to tell your truth. Like, you don't got to tell everybody's fucking business. That's all I'm saying, man. I mean, you know... I, like you know, like I think, I think especially when a person's intent is not to be public. Like this is that was a private moment, I would imagine, right? That was between them two. She don't go around saying those. Shit. They ain't get that ain't that ain't cool. But look though, we talking about college. His rag to riches journey. He was like fuck school. Like he said, he 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 entertained the community college for a hot second, and was like, nah, man. I think the I think the issue here is that. When you ex- when you accept your status in life, that don't mean you have to stay there. That don't mean you have to like it when you accept it. And part of his acceptance was, I don't have a college degree. I have to keep putting. I don't have time to worry about what's not focusing, what's not working in my behalf because I don't have a backup plan. You know, and I think that's the reality of understanding your status is a great tool. And I think that's what he's demonstrating in this book. It's just more so his formula for how I got ahead in life and here's some tools you can use. That's kind of how I looked at it. Well, let's, let's, let's connect that. Let's connect that to the title. Let's connect that to the title. What does that mean? Black privilege. Did he, does, is that just him, you know, clickbaiting? Is that a clickbait? You, you ask him, what does black privilege mean? Yes, it was clickbait. That wasn't his intention. Remember, mm-hmm. he said he wanted to name the book I Don't Give a Fuck and Neither Should You. <laughs> the closer they got to the present date, suddenly the publisher and the editor and the book agents all didn't want fucking the title anymore. To the title of the book. I get what you're saying, Lenny. It just wasn't. Mm-hmm. They told him that it wouldn't get great yeah, product placement. Exactly. I, I remember that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. probably put too much thought into it in that, that capacity. I get it, but I'm just still saying, you know, what does that mean? Yeah, you're right, Harvey. <laughs> <laughs> to get back to your point, as far as black privilege to title, yeah, um, yeah, I, I think it was a little clickbaity because it's like, well, what? I mean, he he talks about everybody having different types of privileges, but. Uh, Kepper I don't know. Beetle. I think he probably should have went with his original title and say "fucking publishers," but that's just dog. The dung, the dung beetle, dog. The dung beetle, the Kepara. It's a philosophy. You know what I'm saying? It's this notion that life can come out of shit. You know, we our people been on that for for millennia, and I think um, if that's what black privilege is, so be it. You know, I just I think. I thought it was a clickbait title. Um, again, you know, this book has been out. You know, he's got another book out now. You know, I think this is a, I think I think this is a great book though to have a conversation with people, anybody that's looking to move up in the world. I think he can provide you with a perspective to think about. Thank you for listening. Pick up James Baldwin's Giovanni's. And join us on our next podcast as we discuss our thoughts on the book. Please subscribe, rate us, and leave a comment. And share with your friends and family.